Welcome to Dish the Dirt, a light-hearted and fun podcast about Australian flower growers, their stories, knowledge and insights into the industry. I'm your host Rebecca and each week I speak to a different farmer and get them to dish the dirt. Dish the Dirt acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which we work and live and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. Hello everyone, I hope that you're enjoying your weekend. I have had a wonderful week. I have managed to get some sunshine yesterday which was really lovely and we've been cooking a little bit from the new Julia Ostro cookbook which has been fabulous because there's nothing like food when you're in level four lockdown and as you know I'm a big (laughs) a big sweet fan so I've been cooking the new chocolate chip biscuits out of that book Uh, anyway if you manage to get your hands on it it's a good one Um, this week I am speaking to Victoria from Sunrise Organic Flowers which is a certified organic cut flower farm which was established in 2017 it's tucked deep into the blackwood and fern forests of the Strasleki Ranges where beauty and sustainability go hand in hand Victoria is loving steadyingly bringing more of the property's indigenous treasures into the production gardens. It was wonderful to speak to Victoria and her farm sounds incredibly special. I'm really looking forward to being able to go and visit at some stage after this whole COVID business is over. So let's get into it. How was your day? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. yeah, it's been beautiful and sunny and... I started my first of my early spring planting today, so that oh, was lovely. nice. Oh, what did you plant? Mm. Uh, I planted some larkspur and some cosmos and some bells of island and oh, all the good things. This beautiful, this beautiful scabiosa that I last year I just grew a whole like a mix of different ones to see how they went here and which ones I liked and and there was this one that was so beautiful pink with a white scalloping on the petals oh wow so I thought all right I'm going to try and save seed from that one so fingers crossed (laughs) it comes true we'll see yeah Yeah. that sounds great um so do you want to start Mm. me off by I'm curious to know about your farm and how you began in the story yeah sure Mm. yeah sure um well it was kind of a long and really to get here. So I started working in organic market gardens back in the 90s, but it was actually when I was living in Melbourne in the city, um, I started because I was buying flowers for myself because I didn't have a a garden and thinking about, you know, trying to find out more about where they came from. And I'm sure this is probably a fairly familiar story, not, not being that comfortable with what I was discovering about where Mm. flowers were coming from and the way they were grown and stuff and so I thought oh well I'm sure there's lots of people like me I'll start a little business in Melbourne selling organic flowers to people yeah Uh, so then I went looking for organic flower growers and the only person I found was Lentil Purbrick from Grown and Gathered and she was starting to head in a different direction then so I sort of went oh well I guess I'm gonna have to do it yeah. So my partner and I found a place and yeah, and started getting set up. 
Yeah, gorgeous. And your where you are is quite a special spot. Um, do you want to tell us about that, like where you are, your, yeah. far, your three acres? Yeah, sure. Yep. So we are in a really special part of the world, Budalong Clanlands on Gunnarkuna country, which is also known as the Prom Coast or the foothills of the Streslecky Ranges down in South Gippsland. Mm. So we've got great rainfall uh, and our place is tucked into almost 300 acres of beautiful mountain ash and tree fern forest. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, it's and and walking through the place here, uh yeah, there's just so much beautiful beautiful shrubs and twiners and all sorts of ferns and crazy ground orchids and yeah. and then all the birds and animals and stuff that come with that too. So, yeah, amazing. we're really lucky to be here. Yeah, it is amazing. It's yeah. it's really beautiful. How did you find your place? I'm not really sure. I mean, I think we knew that we wanted to be in in a really forested area uh, and we used to live in the wet tropics in North Queensland, so we like wet forest. So yeah. we sort of headed down here in search of that and we, the, the day we came out to look at the place, we walked down this little track down towards the dam and a lyre bird just started going through its roll call of all the different birds that are here. Oh, Wow. Yeah, so yeah, so it was like magpies and black cockatoos and and we were like, Oh wow, this and is And was amazing. telling you to come. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, look yeah, at what we can put on for you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then it just had this it's got the clearing that's on a beautiful north facing slope, so pretty perfect for growing things. Yeah. And Yeah, so it was a pretty easy decision to come here. Yeah, sounds like it. Did so did you have a background in flower farming before you found this property or did you just sort of yeah, how did you get into certified organic and Yeah, so um I worked on organic and biodynamic market gardens mm. up in far north Queensland, so things mm. like ginger and turmeric and and then um my husband Stuart and I worked for one season growing organically growing seed for the diggers club. Oh great. So that was where we sort of learnt more about actually managing the processes ourselves. Yeah. But I hadn't ever grown for the cut flower market. Just, you know, I'd only ever grown flowers that it's just good to have calendula and sunflowers and stuff in amongst all the other things you're growing. Yeah. So a friend of mine um said oh, there's this woman in America with Floret Farm, do what she does, you'll be a great success. <laughs> <laughs> and, and very fortuitously, my first season here was when she launched the online course that she offers. Oh, wonderful. Which was, yeah, a really incredible introduction just to everything flower farming right from, you know, from growing right through to to conditioning and bunching yeah. and selling and the whole the whole story. So that was, yeah, fantastic coincidence that that happened right at the start. Yeah. And mm. to be – so you had your background in organics and had grown organic seed, but how do you get to be certified organic? 
So what is, Mm. yeah, what's different about that? Mm. There's a few practices I think that are really important in certification. So the first one is they actually test your soil to make sure there's no sort of chemical residues. Yeah. Um, And, I mean, organic farming really is about farming the soil and then vigorous growth of crops is sort of the byproduct of of having healthy soil. Mm. Uh, and so then to be certified, you have to submit an organic management plan. So you tell your certifying body about what you're planning to do and how you're planning to do it. And that includes things like integrated pest management. So they want to make sure that you're not going to do anything that might um, might threaten your organic status through that. And then yeah. you get audited every year, which is really great. And every second year, an inspector actually comes out to see what you're doing um, so there's kind of complete transparency really in, in everything that you, that you do. Yeah. And another thing that's um, really important in certified organic is that there's a requirement that you either maintain or establish native bushland on your property. Okay. So, so I really like that aspect of it as well, that it's sort of looking at securing yeah. or enhancing habitat more. Yeah, and that's and that's then the other, yeah, and another thing that I really like about it is all of your inputs have to be organic. So you're kind of supporting this whole chain of sustainable farming. So like for me, buying seed, I have to buy seed from certified organic seed growers. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, so I like the way it kind of has those ripple effects as well. Yeah. A nice, like, life cycle, really, you know, it's going the full circle, kind of helping everyone as well as the yeah. land. Yeah. Um, taking yeah. care of everyone. Yeah, it's nice. It's yeah. Beautiful way to farm. And do you, on your farm, do you have other things that help kind of the ecosystem of your farm? Do you have bees or kind of anything like that that you have brought in to help with anything? We, I, I make a lot of compost um, yeah. to, to put on the flower beds. So uh, I, I shovel a lot of manure from our neighbour's organic dairy. So uh-huh. I'd say I'm probably uh, growing a lot of dung beetles <laughs> in, doing, <laughs> in doing that. But, no, we, we haven't introduced um, any of those sort of pollinators or or predator species we thought a bit about bees you know because we do we grow a lot of our own food and we have chooks and all that sort of stuff and we thought about honeybees but because we're in this really special place we decided that we didn't want honeybees that would compete with the native bees there are a lot of really beautiful native bees that live here um yeah in fact i i found a I was really blown away actually. I found a whole cluster of native bees that were camping the night on my very first crop of blue cornflowers. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah, it was really beautiful. So, that, yeah, they must have been attracted to the colour or I'm not sure what. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's really special. Mm. It sounds like you live mm. in an absolutely magical place. Um just going back to the compost, because this has just popped into my head when you said that. So do you have to eat yeah. all organically? Well, I guess that's something that you've chosen to do anyway with your lifestyle, but I guess you couldn't just eat something that wasn't organic 
you know, like, and then throw it on the compost. And then throw it on the compost. Yeah. No, that, yeah, that's a good question. No, look, I, not all of our food is organic, I wouldn't say. I don't think that we've been able to source absolutely every last thing. Yeah. But the process of composting um, actually breaks down, you know, it breaks down everything obviously okay. in the compost. Yeah. And as long as I compost to the to the standard required, so you need to make sure that your compost reaches a certain temperature threshold and remains at that point for a number of consecutive days and you need to turn it a certain number of times and there are just things that you need to do to make sure that it composts properly, yeah. um, then, it's, then it's okay by the organic standard if you have things in it that aren't. Okay. That aren't cert- that aren't certified organic. Yeah. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I was just wondering that. I was like, oh, because I know like my compost, we just kind of you know chuck stuff on there. I was like, yeah, I wonder if you do that. Anyway, <laughs> you've answered yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think in some really big, um, large scale places that might be composting a lot of stuff that hasn't come from organic sources there there can be a concern about contamination and that and that then they just need to check I think to make sure that there isn't sort of remnant pesticide residue or yeah any nasties still in there but at the scale that we're doing and with the the majority of what we put into our compost is from certified organic sources so yeah 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 and so when you got onto your property had anyone been on it before you and did you have to do much to um, sort of get started? Yeah, yeah, we did actually. Um, so the people who who we bought it from had kind of, they were overseas and it had just been left to go to wreck and ruin. So mm. there was a derelict house uh, a tr- that a tree had fallen on and, crushed the water tank and so my husband Stuart was incredible he he set up a because we're off grid so he set up a solar power system for us and yeah. really really nutted out things like our rainwater caps and irrigation and so we really had to establish all of that stuff yeah yeah yeah, so but there was a house here, so oh, it was good. good. It needed oh, a bit of it needed a bit of TLC, but <laughs> <laughs> quite uh, a bit of TLC. Yeah. Oh, that's good. You weren't having to, um, you know, how some people just have to kind of camp out for quite a few years before, mm. yeah, and before getting into the house. So that's good. Um, so, what do you yeah. grow yeah. on the farm now? Yeah. So. Um, Mostly flowers and a bit mm. of food for ourselves. Yeah. Um, so last season I grew a lot of uh, amaranth and rudbeckia. Yeah. And a lot of lupins and nigella. Oh, lupins are and my absolute favourite. Yeah, lupins are divine. I've, yeah. yeah, I've actually just been scratching up my lupin seeds tonight to soak to start putting oh, a few in lovely. tomorrow. Yeah. Mm. And then I 
started using some of the indigenous foliage last year, so like the Prostanthera lasianthos, which mm. has got this really beautiful, fresh, crispy mint sort of fragrance, yeah. and the Mother Shield fern, which is um, really prevalent here. And that goes really nicely with the more earthy sort of things like the Rudbeckia and, yeah. So, yeah. But I'm really excited because in my little trial patch just this week I've noticed the first blossoms on my clematis, the clematis aristata. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the first spike on my Dianella tasmania, the giant flax lily. Yeah. So I'm hoping... I'll be able to bring some more of those things into into production. Yeah, and for but you, still lots of, but but still lots of annuals. I'm still working with lots of annuals. Yeah, and mm. for you, why is it important for you to be bringing back indigenous flowers and plants into production? What's what sparked that interest? Oh, there's a few reasons, but mostly just because they're so beautiful. Like, yeah. Particularly the the twiners, they just have this such a beautiful, quiet grace, you know, like the clematis just flows out of a vase in the most divine way. And but it's really tricky to work with if you if you're trying to like on the edges of our of my production area, there's lots of it just sort of scrambling through the trees and stuff. Yeah. But to try and cut that and kind of <laughs> wrangle it into <laughs> into some sort of uh, shape where you can share it with other people is really challenging. So, yeah. so that yeah, so that's why I'm trying to bring them into the actual production gardens. Yeah, and I, and I also think the the more habitat that we can have here, the better. You know, for all the insects and critters and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I and I also kind of hope that maybe by offering Indigenous flowers, it'll give people a chance to kind of, you know, almost see with fresh eyes like what's what's already here. You know, this incredible beauty that we have right on our front doorstep. Mm. You know, and 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 maybe to think about what that might mean for them, in the, and you know, and what's growing in their area, and. And all of the caretaking that's been done for thousands of years here now. Yeah, completely. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of a got a few different um, parts to it. Yeah. Can you? But, but, most, but mostly because they're just so beautiful. Yeah, they're, they're so gorgeous. Yeah. Can you, for our listeners, can you sort of go through what – is Indigenous in your garden, just so that there, you know, so there might be people listening who don't, you know, don't know or have never gardened yeah. or are not florists. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, the, the Prostanthera lasianthos, people might know it as Christmas, Victorian Christmas bush. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mother Shield fern is like a ground a ground fern with sort of, you know, probably up to a metre long fronds and it's a beautiful dark deep green. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Then the Clematis aristata, yeah, is is, people probably know it as old man's beard. It's Mm. got this profusion of white flowers. 
Yeah. Um, Pimelia axiflora, which also gets called bootlace bush, that's flowering at the moment and has these amazing um, tiny little white flowers that cluster the whole way along the branches. Yeah. And has this really beautiful vanilla. It's a beautiful vanilla perfume. Yeah. Um, it's a good name one, for um, such a beautiful <laughs> bootlace. But, you know, it gets a a bad name for something so beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, so delicate with such a rough-as-guts name. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The the other one that's really captured my heart at the moment, so I've just taken a whole lot of cuttings and I'm hoping that they're going to go, is the – so people are probably familiar with the native pepperberry or Tasmanian pepperberry, it gets called. Mm. Yeah. but that's actually got a really beautiful flower on it, not that dissimilar to a Daphne sort of a flower. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's yeah, one of the ones that interests me at the moment. Yeah. Do you, how do you sell your flowers? So are you doing markets or do you go into Melbourne and sell specifically to people or people come mm, to you? A few different ways. Yeah, Um I was selling, uh, you know, little mixed bunches at a few organic stores last mm. season uh, and I might do that again this year. Yeah. Um, I sell through the Prom Coast Food Collective, which yeah. is a, an amazing collective of all sorts of different growers, not just flower growers, that connects into Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and I have a CSA, so Community Supported Agriculture, so there are a share in my season's harvest okay so it's it's a way of kind of a more collaborative relationship between the farmer and the consumer yeah yeah so that's that's what I did last season yeah yeah and I'll probably do more of that this season I'm also thinking about maybe seeing whether there are wellness businesses that might want to have my flowers yeah wonderful um yeah yeah um, would you sell to florists if they came down, you know, if they wanted to come down and buy from you or you're just not really? Yeah, no, I'd love to because mm. I, I sort of feel like, you know, because I'm not a florist, mm. I, I've got the, I've got these beautiful flowers but I don't really, you know, <laughs> do much with them. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have all of that. I think you do. And, I've looked at your Instagram and I skills. think it's beautiful. You've done some oh, beautiful oh, arrangements. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, yeah, I, I really enjoy, like I love doing it. But, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd love to work with florists if there are people who are, you know, interested in in what we're all about. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, you know, it's always so nice as a florist and having a floristry background to find people who are growing something that's unique and special and you're right, like bringing something back in that is just on our back doorsteps and, you know, if we walk around and have an actual look, you know, um, and using these plants and flowers instead of shipping in stuff from overseas. (laughs) Do you have any thoughts around the industry and what it means for you yeah I mean I think I think my 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 feeling is that like everybody's kind of thinking 
more and more, aren't they, about their impact mm-hmm. on the planet and people are looking at how can they be more sustainable in their everyday life. Yeah. So, I mean, and I think, you know, I've listened to quite a few of your um, other flower growers and there's a lot of people now who are really offering much more sustainable cut flowers. Yeah. Yeah. A few years ago, like you said, it wasn't as prevalent. Like there was really only lentil and mat and then you couldn't find anyone else. (laughs) Yeah. So you're right. Yeah. 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 And so that's great. I mean, I think it's evolving in a really great direction. And I think people like you making podcasts like this is, is a really great way to connect, you know, those, those growers with those people who are really looking for that. Yeah. I'm just blessed Mm. to be able to speak to everyone about their flowers. And I think the thing I try to get across to people listening is also how much effort goes into growing these sort of one blooms that you're soaking your um, lupin seeds Mm. tonight, you know, like Mm. it starts right from then like kind of the care and uh, love that you put into your flowers. It starts right from scratch. It's not like you're, you know, um, it's not easy to get these flowers. So I think, that's one thing mm. I'm trying to let people know as well is that there is definite value in what um, our flower farmers are doing and we should be, I don't know, like respecting that and also realising that the pricing needs to be right for these sorts of things as well. I think that's one thing I'd love for people to know about. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is a, there's an awful lot of work that goes into into growing flowers. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into all farming. What are you most proud of out of all of, like, right from when you've started? What's your biggest achievement? Oh, I wasn't expecting that question. <laughs> um, I thought of it today. I was like, that's a good one. <laughs> what am I most proud of? Oh, look, I think I'll just speak in the moment just this week going up to my little trial patch of the clematis aristata and seeing the first blossoms on that because that you know that that's been a long journey like when we first came here collecting seed you know growing masses and masses of tiny little seedlings and then pricking them out putting them in tubes to get them a bit more established and then when they go out into the ground like all clematises they don't really like being moved so it takes them a while to settle back into where they are and and then I I've been a bit tough on these guys because I've been experimenting with different kinds of trellising to try and create you know will make them really happy even though they're not actually scrambling up a tree fern or a shrub yeah so it's been a bit of an epic journey with these guys so it was it's it's, it's really beautiful to see that they're going to have some flowers on them really soon yeah awesome um, mm. and if you had, this is the question you've probably heard me ask many people now, if you had to sort of leave, yes. um, in the middle of the night or whenever, um, what three seeds or three plants would you grab and head out the door with or three farming things really? It's up to you. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, three plants. I, I did give some thought to this. Definitely the Clematis Aristata because I'm just in love with it. Yeah. Um, also, I think my jealousy, because that's just been such a wonderful 
workhorse, you know. It's a mm. it's great as a foliage and a filler. It's a really interesting little bud as it starts to form before it flowers. It's a really pretty little cottagey flower. And then the seed pods are really cool to put into an arrangement as well. So kind of at every stage of its development, it's really useful. Um, yeah, so that's that's a real winner. And then I think the last one, it's called commasperma volubile. It also gets called oh, love creep. It is a bit of a <laughs> name, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, 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 I think it also gets called love creeper. Okay. And it's got this really gorgeous small mauve flower on a twisty, twiny little stem. Wow. And I've been trying for three years now to work out how to propagate it and I haven't had any success yet but I'm not ready to give up so I probably have to take some of that with me just so that I can keep trying (laughs) very good and do you have a favorite tool out on the farm is there something that you yeah I I actually really love um, I don't have a lot of big tools like um I actually really just love my old galvanised watering cans. So okay. I, I I apply a lot of um, compost teas um, and, you know, seaweed plant tonics and stuff. So I, yeah. I, I'll quite often be just walking up and down the rows using the watering cans to apply that and I, and I really enjoy doing that. It feels really nice yeah. being... Being out there amongst all the plants and just, yeah, yeah, flowing along with the, with the, with the watering cans. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Um, and do, is there anyone that really inspires you? <clears throat> yeah, there's a few people that really inspire Well, there's a lot of people actually that really yeah. inspire me, but relevant to, to this conversation, um, I really like the design work that Megs at Good Grace and Humour does. Mm. She yeah, does some fantastic. Yeah. She does some really crazy sculptural stuff, but she also has a way of getting flowers to really express themselves like mm. their own nature. She seems to see that in them or something. So I really like her work. Yeah. Um and I'm really inspired by Amelia Bright and Sally Rulianchich, who started the Promcoast Food Collective. So as well as being farmers themselves, they identified this, um, a gap, I guess, between conscious consumers in the city and small farmers down here on the And Mm. they've just worked really hard to pull this collective together and it's just an incredible success and has been a huge benefit to my, you know, very small business when I first started out. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm always inspired by, you know, feisty women who see things, see what needs to be done and do it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that sounds amazing. I wish there was more collectives out there for smaller um, businesses. Like I think it's one thing that we've, yeah, they've seen a, uh, gap in the market and that's amazing um yeah are there collectives like that working in the cut flower industry like because I imagine um, it would get very time consuming for designers to sort of you know contact this little farm here and that one there and 
No, there's not. So if anyone's willing mm. to take on that that role, I keep on, I have <laughs> yeah. this kind of idea in the back of my mind and I'm like, not yet, not yet. <laughs> Let's do one yeah. thing at a time, yeah. Rebecca. But um, Yeah, absolutely. You're yeah. making a great contribution already. <laughs> uh, is there anything in particular that you um, want to share with people who are starting out on their journey? Mm. Any knowledge that you have to share? Yeah, get your soil tested. Otherwise, you're just flying blind. You don't know what you're doing. So, mm. it's just it, you know, it's just so helpful to to see what's there in terms of your your mineral profile and your nutrients, and then you know what you need to do, what you need to you know amend or add, or what you're working with. And I think that's yeah, just really fundamental. Yeah. I guess on a on a more philosophical kind of level, I guess just you know stick with it. Like you know why you're doing it, so just keep just keep going. And the people that you're meant to find, you'll you'll find they'll find you. You know, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. I've heard like a few farmers saying you know that they've got earth mites or thrips and that sort of thing that crop up. Um, what do you do being certified organic for those types of things? Do you find that you have anything coming into the soil that you have to deal with or any major pests that you have to deal with? Yeah. How does that work being mm. organic? Mm. Yep. Um, yeah. So there are always different things and it's kind of about trying to achieve a bit of a balance. So hopefully monitoring things before they get totally out of hand. Mm. Um, I think having healthy soil, you're less likely to get damage to your plants by things, you know, if you've got good vigorous plants, then they're quite strong in keeping themselves strong. Mm. Um, But there are things like, because I don't use weed mat, I mulch with like, you know, all of the stems and stuff from in the beds to use as mulch so I'm just breeding so many slugs just like ridiculous amounts of slugs <laughs> uh, so you just put out lots of beer for them to fall into isn't that what you do <laughs> well I do actually yeah. oh yeah good <laughs> yeah I actually do I trap them and I go out there at night and just pick them off you know yeah. and, and I also recognize that it can be a cyclical thing so I mean, a lot of flower growers already grow in succession so that they can have, you know, consistent blooming. But successions can be really helpful when plants are young too because if they go in and it's not quite the right time for them and they get knocked over by slugs or too damaged by thrips or whatever, then you've got another succession coming. It's kind of like hedging your bets Mm. so that you've got stuff coming through all the time and hopefully hitting that sweet spot of when of when um they're going to have their best chance to be to be as strong and beautiful as they can be yeah i mean you can also you can also do things like you know garlic sprays like deterrent kind of things or uh i was having terrible trouble last year with cutworms so i was actually putting little 
like tiny little fences around all of my seedlings to stop oh, cutworms getting in. <laughs> my mind was, automatically was... goes to like fairies. <laughs> that would be my daughter. She'd be in heaven. She'd yeah. be like, oh, this is a fairy garden. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was doing that. I was, for my own sort of benefit, I was cutting really gnarly jagged tops, you know, like <laughs> no, cutworms, you are not getting in here. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah, so there's kind of barriers and prevention stuff, but then there's also things um, that just aren't going to grow well here and so they're the first things to get attacked, you know. Yeah. If they're, if they're just struggling to begin with, that's the first thing to go down. You can also use capture crops too. So, like, cabbage moths just absolutely love kale, so I always have kale growing all through everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's lots of different things you can do. Because if you kind of just start wiping out whole populations of stuff, you know, everything's their role. It's just when those things get out of balance that you can get into trouble. So if you're sort of going in clearing everything completely out to begin with, then you're starting out of balance and it can get trickier. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, and mm. what is the thing that you love most? This is your last question. What is the thing that you love most about your farm and your, you know, your job? Oh, I mean, I really love working outside. I really love being more connected to being, you know, in the in the cycle of a day and a season. Um, and I think the the joy, you know, when a whole bed just erupts into flower, it's just this spontaneous joyousness Mm. and it's so nice to be able to then share that into people's homes and lives yeah yeah I think that's one of the big ones for me yeah oh it's been so lovely to speak to you um is there anything that you wanted to add that I haven't asked you about insights that you had that I haven't touched on no, I don't think so. It's been really great speaking with you too. I, I just think it's fantastic what you're doing with this podcast. Um, Thank you. I'm, a, I'm an amateur. I'm, really getting I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Week by week I'm getting there. <laughs> no, <I'm, laughs> uh, no, I think it, I think I've, all the episodes I've listened to have sounded really great. So, mm, and it's, yeah, it's just a, it's a great format and it's really nice as a flower farmer to be able to have the opportunity to kind of collect your thoughts a bit about why you do what you do and, share them with other people. So I really appreciate that opportunity. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Dish the Dirt. Special thanks to Victoria for agreeing to be interviewed. If you would like to reach out to Victoria, you can do so via her Instagram at Sunrise Organic Flower Farm or website at www.sunriseorganicflowerfarm.com.au. Thank you for all the incredible feedback this week. It's been lovely to read. Sorry if I can't respond to everyone. Emails are not my strong point. They're actually my probably my kryptonite. Um, however, I am very humbled and grateful. Thank you to all the flower farmers so far for sharing your stories. Without you, I wouldn't have this podcast and I am extremely grateful. If you would like to be on Dish the Dirt or provide feedback, maybe there is something I'm not asking that you would love to hear please email me at dishthedirtpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you have a chance to review the show on Apple Podcasts, that would be so appreciated. 
Until next week, get out there, plant those seeds, buy local, support local and keep being blooming fabulous.